Well, look at this. We're on to another episode. Episode 85 of Captain's Quarters Podcast. And I have a special guest here tonight. This is my son, William McRae. Say hello to the crowd. How you doing, guys? Hi. Ladies, gents. Now, I'm going to uh, let him sit here with me, even though we're going to do the first part of our show like we normally do. And how do we normally start our show, ladies and gentlemen? By telling you how to find us on YouTube, Captain's Quarters Podcast. We'd like you to take that VR code or QR code or whatever kind of code it is. Yeah, look at it and then go to go to YouTube and like us and follow us and subscribe to us and do all those other things. Hit the bell because the more we get, the bigger we become and the more we can do. It's a vicious cycle and we'd love you to be a part of our Captain's Quarters podcast crew. So find us, like us, follow us. Subscribe to us. It's very important to us. So please do. And of course, first shot of rum. I say cheers to every one of you, but I'm not going to take the whole thing. I'm going to save it for a moment. <laughs> I don't even remember what that brand was. <laughs> I might be dumping that one out. <laughs> All right. So, what is the first thing we always do, ladies and gentlemen? We show a little respect. Eight belts, sponsored by our friends in the Riker family of reenactors. One sip and I've got hiccups. All right, the Riker family of reenactors sponsors Eight Bells. This is where we show a little bit of respect to those that have left us and our fans and our families. So go ahead, mate. Show me the first two. Cynthia Well was an American songwriter who wrote many songs together with her husband, Barry Mann. Well and Mann were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2010. In 1987, she was inducted with her husband into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and in 2011, they jointly received the Johnny Mercer Award, the highest honor bestowed by the Hall of Fame. Well and her husband both based at the Brill Building, where instrumental in, were instrumental in shaping the sound of rock and roll in the 1960s, along with their luminaries, Kettle King, Burt Bacharach, Neil Diamond. She was 982. John Beasley, an American actor, he is best known for his roles in the films Rudy, The General's Daughter, Some of All Fears, Walking Tall, The Purge, Anarchy, Sinister Two, and his role as Irv Harper in the TV series Everwood in 2002. Beasley founded the John Beasley Theater and Workshop in Omaha, Nebraska to promote, to promote live theater, especially works written by or featuring African Americans. He was 79. That's two. Mr. Davey, how about that? Robin Samuel Anton Wagner was an American scenic designer. He won Tony Awards for his work on the Broadway productions of City of Angels, on the 20th century and the producers. Wagner's many Broadway credits include Hair, The Great White Hope, Promises, Promises, Gentry, Jesus Christ Superstar, Seesaw, Mac and Mabel, Chorus Line, Ballroom, On the 20th Century, 42nd Street, Dream Girls, Why well, it just keeps going on and on and on. What a great theater person he was. Ladies and gentlemen, he was 89. And Victor Benito, I can't even get that last name. Let's see. I'm going to say Galen, and 
Galone. Galone? Galone. Okay. I. You know what? I'm getting old. I should wear specs. Oh, there it is. All right, very good. An American prelate of the Roman Catholic Church. Now you know why the rum is always gone. Thank you, yeah. Davey. <laughs> All right, I want to check something here real quick. He, he was served August- as a bishop of the Diocese of St. Augustine, Florida from 2001 to 2011. On June 26, 2001, John Paul II appointed Galeone as bishop of the Diocese of St. Augustine. He was consecrated on August 21, 2001, in the Cathedral Basilica of St. Augustine. Archbishop John C. Favellora served as the principal cons- consecrator with Bishop Snyder and Bishop W. Francis Maluli, serving as the principal co-consecrators. Cons- <laughs> you did this on purpose, all these extra words. Galeon's Episcopal motto is love, joy, peace. He was 87. I had to include him because he was St. Augustine. Yes, he was St. Augustine. And uh, believe it or not, I think it's quite possible that in some of the things that I've done as a pirate around here, I have actually met him. So that's a good thing. I'm looking at some of our people that are on already. Look at all the people we've got. Very good, very good. Henley's drunk. What's that? Henley's drunk on Kraken. Who is? Henley? <laughs> Hi. That yeah. might be why all the rum is gone. Henley, uh, we're going to cheer to tonight. you. But as tonight we always it's cheer... Not because of Captain. It's because of Henley. Henley broke uh, into the rum. Mm-hmm. Hi. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as we always do for eight bells, we cheer and show respect. Take it away, Mr. Longwood. Good one. Let's see. Hi, Annika Wren, somebody new to our podcast. Very good, very good. Hi. Just looking at all the all the notes already. Thank you, very good. I we appreciate everybody being on board. So, ladies and gentlemen, next after eight bells is always Mini Mayhem making an appearance. So, Mini Mayhem, come on out and. Let's hear the joke of the week. Ahoy, mates. Mini Mayhem here with the joke of the week. Sponsored by Shiver Me Pictures. How do you turn a pirate furious? Think about it, and I will give you the answer at the end of the show. Now that was sponsored by our good friends at Shiver Me Pictures. Scarlet Deerheart. Shiver Me Pictures. She'll show up at all your events and be a part of your photo-taking experience. Uh, she has participated in uh, the Blackbeard's Ball, the Old City Pirate Fest, Panama City's Pirate Fest, all of them. So she's always good to have around. Quote of the Week by our good friend, sponsored Spyglass Travel. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want a good walking tour of St. Augustine, this is where you go. You get a good walking tour from my good friend Kevin Rose, and they sponsor the quote of the week. Winston Churchill, I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck. I would say, what's that? 
in honor of D-Day. That was a yes. speech. He... I believe this was part of his speech that started the whole the, the process that started up D-Day. So there you have it. A good quote it is. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's a hint. We will be talking more on D-Day and the history of World War II in just a little bit. For now, though, question of the week. Do you believe that it is important to thank military folks for their service to their country? I'm biased on that. I served my country for 16 years. I know that my son's mom, my ex-wife, <coughs> served her country also. And we have many, many friends in our pirate crew that have served their country. It is very important to thank them because they really do spend their lives protecting our freedoms all around the world. So I believe we should be thanking them. I tried to do that at every one of my tours at the Pirate Museum every day. But we'll see what your answers are as we go along. Crew adventures completed. So let's first talk about the Mermaid and Pirate event. Did you happen to steal up any pictures there? It was a grand day for 115 foster children in the Flagler and Volusia County area. They, they and their siblings came out and hung out. And there is our mermaids. It looks like she's looking in her mug for something to drink. Great picture. Ah, some of us were fishing. The kids had a good chance to do some fishing. And there's one of our pirates there. The Pirates Hook Toss, another great game. Uh, that's one way to do it. Just walk up and put your ring right on the hook. That child had it all figured out. Good game. And there were plenty of toys for all the kids to receive. All kinds of free, fun things to do. Toys and games and puzzles and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. It was a wonderful thing to see that table filled with toys at the beginning and almost empty at the end. Anything else we had? Oh yes. There's Captain Scabbard there, and, of course, Captain Mayhem. I was there to do some a magic show, and then they had me at a table, and I'm going to brag about this. They had me at a table just teaching children how to do easy-to-do magic tricks, and I had a couple of easy-to-do magic tricks, and there was one little boy who was now, he is now 11 years old. He kept coming back and coming back and learning every one of the tricks and then brought back a deck of cards and wanted me to show him some other card tricks. So we had a good time. His mom wrote in to uh, Katie and Alan, the runners of that, sh that event, that that little boy was so excited they could hardly get him to go back to bed that night singing songs and talking about magic. And the mom had come up to me during the day at the end of the event and told me how thrilled she was because he had gotten a magic set when he was about seven or eight years old and read the book and told his mom this isn't magic it's fake it's not real magic which is what many children find out when they first try to learn what a magic trick's all about it isn't real magic but she said his interest has grown hugely since hanging out learning magic tricks with captain mayhem that's something that pleases me greatly and I will be making some efforts to do some other things magic-wise for that little boy. Maybe it'll keep up his interest. We'll see what happens. So it was a great event. 115 children all getting to have good time, eat burgers and dogs, have a good time with pirates from the Seawolf Privateers and the St. Augustine Swashbucklers. 
and it was well worth the day. And of course, the mermaid event was great, but I, our good friend Miss Gina, had the Sweetheart Belly Dance Festival at World Golf Village, which our own Mr. Davy Longwood was the sound and light tech for the whole thing. But there's a bunch of the girls right there. It was a grand event, I understand, but I wasn't there. Davy, you were there. Tell us what you think. Oh, yeah, it was a successful event. That picture I showed, what, it, during the day they had workshops, so they had dance classes and everything. Then Friday night was the competition, and then Saturday was the performance. Um, that went. That did not finish till well after midnight, by the way. Wow. A long <laughs> day, was was there it? a long time. And on Friday, Navigator was there from 9 in the morning till about 10.30 at night. Now, I talked to Miss Gina today, and she was so thrilled by the event because she told me, and hopefully I won't get this wrong, and if she's watching, please don't slap me. She had deli belly dance teams from Tampa, Atlanta, Gainesville, Tallahassee, I think she said Miami. She had belly dance teams from all over the southern United States, and she was so thrilled the other thing that thrilled her, and I do not remember exactly the two titles that she used here, but she said it was a combination of two distinctive different styles of dance that showed up for her event. And she was so thrilled to be able to bring those two styles together because she said the people in all those styles, they don't always mingle properly, and they all got a chance to mingle and share their styles and their talents. So she was very, very thrilled this morning when I talked to her on the phone. And she's looking forward to the next one. And we'll see what happens. So it was a good event. And as always, we like to talk about those crews that are part of our support with the Captain's Quarters podcast. So we've now told you two successful events. Anything on the horizon? There it is. Mr. Longwood's right on schedule. This weekend coming up on Saturday... The St. Augustine Swashbucklers will be hosting a crew yard sale on the property of Captain William Mayhem. We have a large piece of property here. We have at least 17 members so far on hand to make available their treasures to become your treasures. There'll be pirate garb, household items, collectibles, and all manner of other treasures. A portion of all the proceeds will benefit crew's future events. There should even be, hopefully, a table of some baked goods and snacks and libations for your consideration. The address is right there, 137 Watson Road. If you don't know it, I'd be watching on Facebook because we'll be promoting it every night for the next four or five nights. Come on out. You know what they say, one man's junk is another man's treasure. So come take some of this junk out of here and turn it into your treasure. But if you need garb, if you're a pirate, or you know anybody that needs garb in any way, shape, or form, we should have some here. Come out and see what we got. It'll be a good event. On that note, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, there isn't anything else for us to worry about for at least a month or two. The swashbucklers are going to take a break. But I am going to throw one thing in. We just created a, an event page last night. The St. Augustine Swashbucklers is hosting next May 19th through the 25th a cruise cruise. That's C-R-E-W-S C-R-U-I-S-E. A cruise cruise. We have secured some lodging on a 
very large vessel. I don't remember what the cruise line is for some ridiculous reason. Carnival Cruise Lines, there it is. And we're going to spend five days out on the water, seeing the Caribbean and whatever else we can see, and having a righteously great piratical time on the ocean. If you're interested in joining us, send us a private message and we'll put you on the event page so you can keep up. They have it set up so that you can pay a deposit, very reasonable deposit, pay another fee around December time frame, and pay the balance off in February. That's how I'm doing it, and I've never been on a cruise before. So we'll see what happens. We'd love to have you. As it stands right now, I believe we have six couples going. We'd love to have more. Come on out and join us. May 19th, 2024. A cruise cruise. On that note, I think we're done with everything we need to do now because it's now time to talk history. And as everybody knows, because I've been bragging about it for weeks, my son is here in town visiting, and guess what? He's now on the show with me. I am very proud of my son. He is a history teacher both in high school and in middle school now, right? Yes. Yes. So, before we go into what we're going to talk about, I know it's weird that we have an audience and I can't ever see him. A couple of things that my son has actually accomplished besides his teaching credentials. He doesn't know I was going to bring this up, so I catch him on, on, on the spot, so to speak. You were also a teacher at uh, Space Camp in Huntsville. Uh, yes, sir. So tell everybody a little bit about that. Uh spent three years, well, about three years in, in uh, at Space Camp, and I was, my main, main job was I, when the students would come from around the world, I, I did Space Station. I taught them how to do experiments, and then I would teach them a history. I would do about a two-hour whole thing with the kids, train them, and then we would run missions. And I we did I pretty much did about everything um, <laughs> that you can think of, run everything, simulations, even took teams, had a team from, uh, an adult team from Australia, a whole bunch of parents that came with their kids and they formed a team. Uh, I've worked with kids from every continent uh, there for three years and it was something really amazing. Actually keep in touch with some of the kids too. So that's Very not close. the only thing that gives him some great credentials besides his teaching and now the space camps at Huntsville. You also were a, uh, a, a, a student leader, and I'm not going to get the words right, but through your church, you were a, a, I was a student a, minister. I was, a, I was a youth pastor. Youth pastor, I was a youth, you uh, Or youth minister, director of youth ministries. It depends on the church you're at. Depends on but yes, I, I'm, a, I'm still an ordained minister, believe it or not. And... He got married just a little over a year ago, a right? Over a year ago, and yes. I was able to attend that. It was a great, um, a great event, and I got to meet his wife, Lauren, who's not here tonight. Hopefully, I'll get to see her before they get out of town sometime this week. We'll see what happens. But those are just some of the credentials that my son has to show what he's really good at, and that is teaching, and he is very good at that. And I, I can t attest to this. When I watch some of the things that happen that he posts on Facebook about his students, he is one of those teachers that students really love to have around. And that's also a very good thing. Is there any other credentials you want to add to before we go into what we're doing? I can, you know, I'm not a guy that's going to toot my own horn, so, you know, I'm just... Well, I'm making you do it, but that's okay. <laughs> so, um, wrote a book, helped write a book. There you go. That's right. I do remember that. I helped write a book. Don't know if it's been published yet, <laughs> but I helped write a... Uh, they called me up and I helped write a part of a chapter for a how to 
about about students and teachers and and why um, it, why it's good for teachers to get experience in college. And so. guess who I just saw is in there? There's Lauren McRae, his wife. Uh, Everybody say it. hello, Lauren. I also see I see Annika. This is the first time she's one of the youth. Uh, is she one of the, your she's youth? She's one of the youth that I well I volunteer work with now. Oh. Um, she goes to the church where I actually volunteer and help out the youth when I can. Ah, she's, she's an amazing So lady. Annika Wren says that William is an amazing youth pastor speaking from experience. Look at that. Well, Annika, I hope that you'll continue to be a part of our crew of people that watch us on a regular basis. Thank you for coming in tonight and watching us there. And Lauren, are you having a good time in St. Augustine so far? We'll see if she actually answers. She can say, "I right, go ahead. I feel that she's probably... Uh... Probably on the beach watching this right now. Uh, With the foam hitting the beach. Aye, well, we'll see what happens. You went to the beach this morning, first thing this morning. First thing this morning, I went to the beach. Well, you uh, got into town late, late, late last night. Yeah, it was about, we did about a 10, 10 hour drive. 10 hour drive last yesterday. And so then you got up and went to the beach this morning. Yes. And it was cold, wasn't it? Windy. Yeah. Wind, so windy. I chased my hat down the beach a lot. Today. <laughs> uh, I'm not, and if, if you can can tell, running is not my strong suit. All yeah. right, so I got an exercise. Hey, this is one of those times where I don't feel so bad now. Yeah. So also got to say, hey, Davey, appreciate the picture making me look like you know Jack Nicholson from The Shining busting through the door there on the, uh, on the app. <laughs> yeah, not only that, but <laughs> somehow the name got misspelled. Uh, that was pointed out to me by my brother. Ransom Mayhem, who's also on the show tonight, too. He's there watching what's going on. So my, my son, as I've said, he's a history teacher, and he really, some of the things that I've watched him do via Facebook with his students is you integrate the children, the students, into what you're teaching. You don't just stand there and regurgitate. You, you, you do projects and and workshops or experiments or whatever to get them involved in the in what you're doing when, whenever whenever i can and whenever it, you're able to um it, it always helps to try to have them act and work out things or act out things uh we'll do court cases when we're talking about uh the supreme court uh one of my favorite things i've ever done with students was when i was teaching uh when i was teaching uh, ninth grade history we had to talk about d-day and i was able to take them outside and you can find the video on facebook of me had some of the students uh, as the Germans, some of the students, as the Allied forces, and they all had like soft foam balls, and they were chart, and then we re recreated D-Day. The only problem was the kids that were my allies took off and ran in the other direction, which was completely not what happened on D-Day, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> they were afraid of getting hit with like this small ball. Um, and it, and I think they were just because it was freezing cold. We did it in February, <laughs> and it was freezing cold outside, even for Alabama. So. Yeah, well, it it was cold. For D Day, it was cold for D Day for that too. Right? Yeah. So, but yes, you 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 integrate the kids into your projects uh, when you're teaching government or teaching how laws pass, or you teach about certain things that happen with with our country, and bringing the kids in it helps them understand better, doesn't it? I, I like to think it does. Uh -huh. And do you ever have children or students that have come to you and said, you know, I never thought about it that way, or you you changed my mind on what I thought? Have you ever had that happen? I will. <laughs> I will say. Um, I think I did with one student, and he sent me actually a message uh, about a couple months ago. He was. He sent me a message on Facebook, and he said, "From your favorite communist student." And he was. Uh, he he always he always said he liked the communist ways, but I was always do 
slap down stuff that the communists done. And so I, th I felt like he left with a better understanding. But I will also give, I had an exchange student one time from, uh, from the Netherlands. And I remember sitting in class, she goes, well, you know, your stupid Second Amendment law allows you to have all those guns. And I said, well, you know, if your country may have had a Second Amendment law, maybe Hitler wouldn't have run through it so fast. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, that's true. You know, so, uh, so you know, you, you, you want to have a little humor with them and stuff. And not, not all students are going are gonna to get it or are going to sit there. And you're not going to change every student. You have to realize that as a teacher. But for the ones that you do change, the ones that actually get thinking about things and maybe stepping outside the box to think about things, that's 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 where the magic really happens. Some students are there to, I know this. I'm going to do what I need to do and get my grade. And those are good students too. You don't, and they're great students too. But I really love the students that come in with a mindset about something, and then we can kind of get a debate going and get them actually step outside that box, get them talking about the issue, and coming with their own ideas. And sometimes they'll lead with a stronger opinion that they already had of their opinion, or sometimes they may change their mind completely. In this day and age, the way things are, is it? do you think it's more difficult for teachers to be teachers? I can only go with what my experiences are compared to when I was a student. And I know, I, I want to say that every, every generation has their own issues of things they have to, or hurdles they have to go over. But for teachers, I want to, I want to, I feel that teachers have it very, very hard. From... I have uh, colleagues that have been doing this twenty something years, and they're 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 like I've never some sometimes I've never had a year like this where I just, you know, where I feel like nothing we did was right or people are coming after us. Um, I've had many people send me messages thinking we're in I'm indoctrinating kids, um, and I was like, step into my classroom and you'll see that I'm not indoctrinating. I don't use textbooks, but I do have standards. We have standard state standards, and I teach those state standards. And if you look at the state standards. They're all skills to help, in my class, students to learn to critically think, which is something that we don't do anymore. And with the Internet, with everything at your fingertips, they, you'll get students that just put the answer, put the, put the first answer they come to, and you're like, that's not even part of the question. I don't, uh, case in point, I asked the question, Lincoln said, um, a house divided upon itself cannot stand. And we were talking about the issue of slavery and, and civil war. And I asked, what do you, it was a bell ringer, put this up, I said, what do you, what do you think Lincoln is trying to say? And a student actually wrote, and this is years ago, a student wrote, President Lincoln Ford Motor Company is a place, and just, was just repeating stuff off the Ford Lincoln Motor Company website instead of actually looking at it. <laughs> and I went to her and I was like, you didn't actually look, you just typed in Lincoln and that's what you got. And they were like, yeah. I, and they, and they will admit when they're just doing that you know and so i think that's very hard for teachers will the historian have you watched the history channel if so how accurate are the documentaries um <laughs> i will say that that for for most part everything i've watched does a great job but what also what i also do and i tell people to do is when you are watching a documentary whether it be smithsonian channel be history channel whatever Look at some. Look at some of the names they mention, and go and look, look research it yourself, and check that out. Um, and that's what I usually do. And I'll double check on things because sometimes History Channel is trying to put a lot into like an hour program, right? And they're going to skip over some, or they're going to say some. But for for the most part, when they do stuff like where they're having actual people on there talking, 
and giving points. They're doing a great job. I just wish that History Channel would do a little bit more history than they than they do anymore. It's not not so much ice road truckers. <laughs> we I, I have a thing where I tell people when we talk about history that history is assumptive. Uh-huh. Especially prior to the invention of recording devices and camera equipment, everything that we know about history is because we've pieced together all the different things we have, whether it's diaries or manuscripts or political speeches or drawings or line drawings, letters to and from home during the war. All these things give us the pieces we know, and then we have to reasonably make assumptions based on, hopefully, common sense. And then if somebody says something to you about history, and your common sense says, I'm not sure that's really true, uh, that would be one of your best indicators to go research it yourself. Yeah. Um, well, as I tell anybody that has questions or anything, if I don't know something, give me 24 hours and I'm going to give you a Cliff Notes version of it. I'm going to learn it. But I, I, I tell people in history, you got to look at all sorts of sources, primary and secondary sources. I, I treat it like, um, like Fox News and CNN. And I, I know you don't get political, but what I say is, listen to a story of CNN, listen to the same story on Fox News, and you're going to get the actual... Somewhere in the middle, you're going to actually know what's going on. Because when people write articles, they're going to put their own spin on. They're, they're going to biased. Put they're going to put their bias. It's, it's hard not to be biased right. on a lot of things, um, especially if it's a, especially if it's a first, uh, first-hand account. If the primary source, someone lived it, they're probably going to be biased. Take uh, the Mexican-American War. No one, there's speculation who fired the first shot at the start of that war. What we do know is that both armies were lined up against each other. If you read Mexican history, America fired the first shot. If you read our history, uh, Mexico fired the first shot. I'm going to tell you, I believe we fired the first shot because who the, the president wanted that cut land. So I believe that we probably did. But we honestly don't know. All we know is that a war happened. Someone fired a shot and a war happened. We don't know who fired the first shot of the Revolutionary War. We really don't. We like to say that it was us, but we, we don't know. We don't fully know. So... It's, it's, and that's where reasonable common sense comes in. Yeah. Even if we don't know, it, it's it, it's a point not worth fist fighting over. No, it goes like with your when you always talk about Francis Drake. So Francis Drake, you got one group that says, "Oh, he was you know a hero," and one group says, "Oh, he was a pirate." You know, it's it's going to be based on who wrote who wrote what what you're reading, and then you got to take both together and see who. It, it was, was a, you know, when you pop up your screen on the computer and all these different little things pop up that you can read. Just the other day there was one that it was all about, is history really written by the winners? And so I popped it up and, and read it for, uh, uh, briefly through it, and the points they made were really interesting. History's not necessarily written by the winners, because both sides of any point in history, between two groups of people, two countries or two people, they both do get a chance to, to have their account. I mean. If you, I don't know why this just popped into my head, but if you if you go and get a, there's a reproduction newspaper all about the battle or the gunfight at the OK Corral, and if you read through that and you read through the trials that the um, that Wyatt Earp and his brothers were put on, they were you could deduce that they were not any better than the, than the gunfighters yeah. and the, the the bad guys they were fighting. So 
there's always two sides and you just have to try to figure out where the middle ground is. I think we have another question here. Oh, what are some ways that you help students understand and enjoy learning about history and engage them in a way that makes them want to learn? That's a good question. That is a, it's a very good question. Um, it it's, can be a very, very hard thing because a lot of students, especially now, will say, why do I need to learn this? Um, I try to pull out the things that you're not going to hear in a textbook or or things. I, as strangely, I think we were talking earlier, one of the one of the things I've seen students, they like to hear the the fanatical... You, you, that's, the gross stuff. The gross stuff. You want to catch attention. Like um, a, a preacher once said, you always want to have that hook to catch somebody. It's like you want to have that hook. And if you can get them kind of like answering a question and going... That's going to lead to possibly, th that's going to lead to some thinking. And then telling some stories like, I'll be honest with you, Russian Revolution, I don't know how to make the Russian Revolution exciting. It's not my forte. But you start talking about what happened to Rasputin, man, everybody, students want to know what happened to Rasputin, you know. Um, I also like to put it in, put, find ways to put it with uh, what, what they understand. When COVID, well, all the stuff with COVID was going on, um, I was talking about the Black Plague. The parallels between Black Plague and COVID was, so there now the students have a reference. Finding a reference for students is key. What, and what do, whether it be from their culture, heritage, or even their neighborhood, finding it and relating it to will, will help a lot of students understand. Um, and then just sometimes it's just having the fun with it, trying to Show that you know that you can learn something from it, and being humorous too. Being humorous, I I like to make jokes, and I like I have students that like to kind of be smart up one time in class, and I they need to know that I can come back at, with the best of them, you know. Um, well, so. I when I do my tours in the pirate museum, I I, I I tease with the children, with the children, not at the children, but I tease with the children, and I have fun with it, and and you know, and I'll give you I'll give you a good joke that I use. You can't use it because you don't dress as a pirate. But I'll pull my cell phone out to check, make sure we're on schedule for everything. And I'll, invariably, every time I'll have one child will pop up or spout off, I didn't know pirates had cell phones. Yeah. And my answer to them is, you're absolutely right. And you know what else they didn't have back then? They didn't have children asking me about my cell phone. <laughs> Which is hilarious to everybody. And most of the kids go, oh, he roasted him. And, but never to make any of the children feel bad to bring them in. because. And then, then when I, after I've done this, this joke or several other jokes, I will make the, the teachers stand in and, and make a comment. And the comment is this. Teachers will always agree with me. If you're not having fun, you're not learning anything. I, I, will, I, will, I will agree to that. But I think uh, I think one of the things, though, we've lost though in education is the ability to actually to to keep what we read. We don't because we're we're all in about the fast thing. Where True. They want to. They want. They, they. As I say, and I'll I'll hold up a cell phone in class and say you you have the you have the greatest invention in, in your fingertips with that you can learn everything and you <laughs> use it to order pizza and stick your tongue out on Snapchat and. <laughs> And I, so I try to show students how to do that. And I think also when you can show that you're passionate about it and, and, and actually show that you care about the subject, that will uh, – I've had students that did not like me, did not like me. They thought I was the meanest, toughest teacher they'd ever had. And they come back years later and like, you're – no, you 
try to help us. I'm, I need, how do you do this? <laughs> you know, and it's showing things on how to read. I think it's just sh showing and then showing students they can do it. And I think that's a lot of is there's some students are scared to see they can actually do it. Show students they can do it. Um, and it, when that light bulb hits, that, oh, wow, I can do this. Or you, when they ask a great question, let them know it's a great question. Or even if it's in the ballpark, hey, that's in the ballpark. That's great. But let's, let's kind of focus it. When they can see that they're coming up with some of that stuff, I think it triggers a self-confidence for them. All right? You know, then there's some, there's some that you want to go, okay, yeah, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. You have to sit down now. Right? <laughs> so one of the reasons that we, we – one of the major reasons that I, I wanted my son to be here was because I'm just proud of him, and this is a chance for me to brag about him. But because of his great knowledge on – particular parts of American history, one of them primarily being World War II. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow is the 79th anniversary of D-Day. So we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about D-Day. Now, my son wrote some really great notes here, but the introduction part is how we're going to start this. So bear with me and let's see if I can read this proper and put us all into the mood of what D-Day actually truly so let's start it's 1944 soldier has been awake for almost 24 hours in the middle of the night you and your platoon are loaded into a seaworthy vessel to cross the english channel you look over the bow and see total darkness soon a few flecks of light appear in the sky a whistle blows and you're hurried down a rope net to climb into a Higgins boat with 36 other men. The smell of sweat and fear, urine and vomit fills your nostrils. You begin to hear muffled explosions outside the boat and feel the water being thrown into the air. The ramp to the Higgins slams down and bullets begin to fly past. The soldiers in front are shot dead before they even take a step. You and the rest of your platoon jump over the sides instead of marching forward. The water is freezing when you hit it. The shock sends your body into overdrive as you begin fighting to survive. You are lucky to make it to the beach, but there are no covers save for the Czech hedgehogs, the steel X's used to stop tanks. The burning salt of the sea begins to leave your eyes, and you finally see hell on earth. The water is already red with the blood of fallen comrades, Bodies and body parts are everywhere. You hear screams of mortars, bullets, and soldiers. In spite of all of this, you know you must push on. You step out from behind your cover, knowing it could be the very last thing you do. You begin charging the cliffs. No matter what happens to you today, you know that victory is everything. This is D-Day. That writing is his writing and it's very very poignant to exactly how those men those thousands and thousands of men must have felt on d-day so let's talk about that we segue into that idea what was the numbers of the allies and the germans for that day uh, so 12 uh 12 allied nations stormed um Omaha, Juno, Sword, Gold, and Utah. So five beaches. Um, 156, no, um, a little bit more, like about 10,000. They, they caught 10,000 Allied casualties. 
And that, that, that has to do with um, death. Uh, people that went missing that probably ended up in the water. That, no, no. Um, they could have been blown up from a mine and they just didn't have um, And wounded. So that compromises a lot. 156,000 Allied soldiers hit those five beaches. Um, the United States lost about 2,300. Britain lost a little over uh, a little over 3,000. Germany loses 6,000 6, soldiers that day. This is, this is the largest invasion force, amphibious force, um, and it's, it, it's a sheer numbers game. Um, they knew, like Eisenhower knew that it was going to be a, num you know, a numbers game along with a few other things, but they were going to, if they did not get as many troops as they could at the, on the beach at one time, it could be a lost effort. And because Germany had the advantage. So, so with all of this, how many how many hours or days was D Day actually? Okay, um, well, if you're talking about from the planning, this the planning starts in January. Let's but if start you're talking with, the, start actual with day, the actual attack, the actual attack took about they they did about three hours. The initial attack where they were able to conquer most of it was three hours. Um, but since it was known as the invasion of Normandy, it takes about a month for them to conquer the actual Normandy. And if you don't Normandy, what think of it like a county, like in like in our in your state, whether it be St. John's County or um, it was the county, and it was the next right next door was the county that had Paris. So it's a straight shot. You want to get to Paris, you need to conquer Normandy, and so it took about a month. And within a month, they had almost a million troops, uh, Allied forces. According to uh, some of your notes here. After the fighting died down on the beaches and the Allied forces were able to set up ports and camps and landing zones, within a month, 877,000 troops, 172,000 vehicles, and almost 600,000 supplies were in France ready to move on to Paris. Yeah, and they, uh, they, they go pushing. So looking at some of your notes here, um, the 12 nations that participated, do you know them off the top of your head? It would be easier for me to read them. All right, let me, let me see if I can remember all this. United States, yep. United Kingdom, yep. Canada, yep. Australia, yep. Poland, Aye. Netherlands, yep. Czechoslovakia, yep. France, yep. New Zealand. New Zealand, and, and those are some tough boys if you ever read about the New Zealand boys. Um, and uh, Rhodesia. Rhodesia. That's yeah. an unusual one. Rhod I Rhodesia. No way. Um, did I? Belgium. Holland. 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 Yeah. Uh, I think that was Greece. Uh, Greece. Yeah. Greece. The only one. Yep. Very good. Very good. Aye. So, looking at some of the other notes that we have here, y you're right. Omaha was secured in 3.5 hours. And would take almost two months to secure the entire entire area of Normandy. Yeah. The Germans, Germany loses the beaches, began to spell the end for Germany's loss of the beaches begins to spell the end for the Nazi Nazis in Germany. Now I saw something else in the notes here that I want to see if I can go back and find. Um, it was in the pre-invasion, the subterfuge. We yeah. were talking about this before the before the show. Yeah. So tell us about that. That's okay, very interesting. so. One of the, th well, they, 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 two big subterfuge things happened. One, they had been th uh, kind of throwing in spies behind enemy lines for a couple months, blowing up railroad stations or railroad tracks, getting anything that could actually give supplies. And in fact, the night of the invasion before that happened, they actually landed paratroopers behind enemy lines to do a little bit more work. The biggest thing, though, was 
there were spies in the German army that were like kind of like messengers, and they had they were informing Germany German command that an attack was going to happen. We were we were feeding false information to Germany, and we were going to attack at this place called uh, Poste de Calais. I'm gonna I'm butchering my French because I, I mean, listen, I took French in college because the pretty girl next to me signed up for it so I, I, I had to leave French because I was not passing it because <laughs> you never pick a class based on the the pretty girl okay all right but what she, what they did was um, and in order to get the subterfuges Hitler thought it was really gonna happen they actually put like stuff out that made them think that oh they're gonna be landing troops here and even when Normandy was happening Hitler still thought it was happening so he'd sent all pretty much the bulk of his forces to protect this area and that helped with some of the uh, German soldiers there nothing, and nothing happened nothing happened so we were also talking earlier when we were going over the notes and I want to bring this one up um, William Dabney mm. a 17 year old black soldier yeah um, was put up for special duty in a barrage balloon yeah so, can you explain a little bit more about him? Okay, yeah. And he, um, he's, he just recently passed, yeah, right? Yeah, he, he passed uh, just a few, a few years ago. Uh, William Dabney was um, was one of the first African Americans to not enlist, but to, to join the war effort. Um, think, uh, and you got to remember, the Army, when you look through the history of the Army, the Army has been one of the forefronts for integrating forces. Um, and they started, do, they, they would really full-on do this after World War II. But they said uh, he wanted to serve his country, and he, they asked if anybody wanted to do special service, special duty, and they were pretty much trying to get the, uh, a lot of the African-Americans, and he signed up for it. What that means was he finds out that he was going to be attached to this thing that looked like a Zeppelin. It was a, a balloon, and the idea was in case if they were if planes start, German planes, they would hit these barrage balloons and actually protect everybody. Um, he gets on the beach, and he, pretty mo- he almost gets killed. And he finally gets away from the barrage balloon, and he survives, and he goes on uh, to fight throughout the rest of the war, and he, he was instrumental in helping take take the beaches that day. And he would later get the uh, he'd get the French's highest honor. Uh, he would get it uh, about about eighties, almost eighty something. <laughs> when he was like eighty two, he would finally get it, and he'd be invited over for the uh, for the Remembrance Day and with President Barack Obama, and he got Navy uh, France's highest um, medal of honor um, to for his actions that day. Very cool. And there's another one that you had in here, Harold Baumgarten. Harold Baumgarten. Now, he is he's one of the most interesting characters I've ever read. So Harold Baumgarten was a guy who had gotten a chance to uh, be with a, a tryout with the Yankees uh, or with New York. And he... Um, he got drafted. He got drafted before he could go to his tryout. And he, um, he so he goes in and he gets selected for D-Day. He is shot five times, and he bleeds out for about 36 hours. But he's saved because of these new uh, new ways to do blood transfusions. That's one of the big supplies was blood. And so he survives. He goes on to fight the rest of the war. Uh, well, he goes, he goes home. He, gets, uh, he goes on to be a teacher and a baseball coach, and then he becomes a doctor, and he writes several books. Now, he passed away, I think, in 2020. Wow. So another interesting point, and I didn't even know this, and I love history too, and that's that's probably why you love history. Maybe some of that is genetic, who knows. But D-Day, the D and D-Day stands for nothing at all. Nothing. 
Not a thing. Not a thing. The D-Day was, was simply a term used to indicate the launch date of a mission before the actual date was chosen. Once the dates were chosen, D-Day was used to keep it a secret from the enemy. So the conclusion of this, because of our timing, we're going to go into the conclusion of this. Almost 80 years ago, 79, as I said earlier, this coalition of 12 countries banded together to say with a loud voice, no. It is estimated that 3,000 D-Day survivors may still be alive today. The men that stormed the beaches were fresh out of high school. Many had never been outside their own hometowns. One story tells of a commanding officer instructing the me members of his squad to look at the man on the left and the man on the right, then told them that only one of you will make it. They were scared, but still did not want still did what one else could do, save the world. These men should be honored and be revered at what it means to be a hero, in some cases sacrificing everything. Remember the next time you fire up the grill on Memorial Day. This historian will always be thankful to those who served, have served, and will serve. It is your sacrifices that's given me the freedom that I am privileged to teach on a daily basis, which goes to my question of the week. Should we thank people for their service and commitment to their country? Always. Always. On that note, anything else you want to throw in there about D-Day? I, I, mean, I just, I mean, there's so much happens. And you got to, like, remember with D-Day, like, they were supposed to have, like, 32 tanks and 27 of them sink. Um, they're just, and all, and all, I, I mean, Eisenhower, everyone thinks Eisenhower just also came up with this idea. Um, he had actually been part of, since World War II, part of the plans. He had been part, served in Washington as part of the plans sir, um, to, if they ever need to invade France or Europe. Um, and then, like, you read the quote where it said, look at the person to the right of you, look to the person to the left of you. Um, I believe that was uh, a man by the name of Colonel Phelps. I, you know, I could be wrong, but I believe it was Colonel Phelps. And he's, the reason he tells his men that is he didn't want to sugarcoat that, hey, we're about to go do something to pretty much save save the world. You might not make it, but your sacrifice is going your sacrifice is going to be worth it. You know, it's he didn't really pep talk it. Oh, everybody's gonna get an ice cream cone after this, you know. So So Eisenhower has um several very famous speeches and there is a story that he wrote two speeches, one that he gave at the beginning of D-Day and one that he was prepared to give if D-Day was a failure. Um, if you're into history and you know that, and the reason was because Eisenhower, and this is probably one of the reasons that propelled him to become a president of the United States, he believed that as the leader of whatever it was he was supposed to be leading, he had to take the responsibility for its success and or its failure. So he wrote two speeches, and one speech was to commemorate everybody doing a great job, and the other speech was to take responsibility had this been a failure. It was never a failure, so we never had to bring that speech to public. That's something that is very commemorative of the men that we have in our history. Many of these men, according to our history knowledge, do take responsibility for their successes, but they, when they do, they also commend the people that are under them. Patton was one of them, but then if they have a failure, they step up to that. And 
that's true of all these great men that we talk about. So ladies and gentlemen, that's our little bit on D-Day and World War II. Um, as you can see, this guy here, he knows what he's talking about. He's got it all down. I just had to keep going to the notes. So, but that's only because my memory, my memory isn't that good. So, Davey, are you there? Yep. Ah, it got really quiet all of a sudden. So, what is next is, how about this week in nautical history? Okay. some great references to World War II. Very good, Davey, as always. Did you have a video highlight of the week, Mr. Longwood? Um, just in case, I always had a backup. Um, you know my little short videos that explain quickly D-Day. Yes, <laughs> or go Memorial ahead. Let's, Day. Play it. Let's play it, and then we'll go into the week in history. All right. <clears throat> There it is. World War II, June 6, 1944. By June 6, 1944, the Allies had landed 150,000 men in Normandy. The five beaches were secure, and the troops were pushing inland. The Allies had gained air and sea superiority. However, the landing forces were not as strong as they could have been due to limited landing craft and paratroop aircraft. To combat this, Months of intensive air attacks were carried out against railway lines, roads, and bridges across France with the aim of making it difficult for the Germans to move reinforcements easily into Normandy. 
At the same time, a deception was in motion to convince the Germans that the Allies were planning to land further east in the Pas-de-Calais region. These strategies were both a success. Allied Supreme Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower led 3 million men, 13,000 aircraft, 2,500 landing craft, and 1,200 warships. New equipment included two tank variants, the obstacle crossing tank and the bunker busting tank used on the Anglo-Canadian beaches. In addition to this, amphibious tanks were used by all attack formations. Follow-up formations would use the Mulberry Harbors with the fuel supplied by Pluto, standing for pipeline under the ocean. The Germans were aware of an Allied invasion, but lacked any intel of where it would be coming from or its strength. Field Marshal Erwin Rommel commanded the German forces in northern France and believed that his only chance was to defeat the invading force before it got ashore. He wanted to spread his reserves along the coast so that they could attack the landing forces straight away as the Allied air forces would make it difficult to redeploy more distant units. Rommel's superior, Commander-in-Chief West Field Marshal Gerd von Rundstedt, meanwhile wanted a strong central reserve that would be sent in once it was obvious where the main Allied landings were taking place. In the end, there was a compromise. Some reserves were near the Normandy coast, but were not allowed to be deployed without permission from Hitler. The landings. There were five landing areas, Utah and Omaha, which involved U.S. troops, and Gold, Juno, and Sword, which involved British and Canadian troops. Two U.S. airborne divisions landed by parachute and glider inland from Utah and one British airborne division on the east flank of Sword. They took most of their objectives and disrupted possible German counterattacks. On Omaha Beach, German resistance was the most fierce, with heavy Allied casualties. But by the end of the day, the beach was clear. Utah Beach was the easiest to clear, while the other three beaches were somewhere in between. It was important for the Allied troops to gain as much territory as possible, to make room for the follow-up forces. The inland advance later in the day, however, came up short of the D-Day objectives of Caen and Bayeux. There would be much harder fighting in the days to come. Subscribe to see more history videos. Get <laughs> Very good. Very good. I use those videos a lot, actually. Do you? I use Do them you? a lot. So they work real good. So, Davey, there you go. There's a testament that you picked out the right kind of videos also. <laughs> yes. All right. Very good. So, now I don't have any mail call. But I do want to let everybody know that if you want to be a part of our show and you have some questions or you have some thoughts on what we could do, send us an email, captainsquarterspodcast21 at gmail.com. We try to read them all, and there's four of us, so we can at least catch them and answer your questions. We are doing so much better as we keep going every week with this show. We're excited about all the things that are happening. We'll give you some numbers in just a little bit. On that note, I did forget one thing. This Week in Nautical History is always sponsored by all my family at the Pirate and Treasure Museum. So it'd be terrible for me not to mention that. And we are now getting into This Week in History, which is sponsored by one of our big sponsors. That's Dick's Wings. If you want a good lunch, they have over 40 different lunches that you can choose from. And all of it is under a certain fee. Something good for all of us. Go try them out. Dick's Wings on US1. For now, though, let's do This Week in History, 
and we'll check out the messages that everybody and the comments have been sent. We were just going through all the um, questions and comments, so we're back to the very beginning. So we'll see if we can 
pull a few more up before we conclude tonight's show. Um, I wanted to say thank you to Zachary Harker for being on the show. He missed the last few podcasts, but it's been a few weeks. Glad to have you back. Very good. Athena Rivers, nice to see you. Uh, Utah Pirates. And coming down here, Ransom Mayhem from over there in Panama City Beach. Good to have you aboard also. And Jim says we're back. Don't forget to share as well. Good point. Besides liking, always share. We want to keep everybody in the know of what we're doing. Annika Ren, I'm liking you being in there. You're, you're posting all kinds of things. Love the podcast. Even this is the first one I've watched. Well, we hope you'll come back and watch more. Maybe we can figure a way to get you to be a part of one of our shows. It's absolutely important to thank military. So many have given their lives. You're absolutely right. Going on down, Athena Rivers also agreed. I thank them every day. Occasionally volunteer at the VA hospital when not working. Good job. Good job. Nightingale. Well, yes, thank those who serve the military. Also remember the spouses, parents, and children of active duty. They sacrifice also in very many ways. You're absolutely right. Well, you don't see any politicians taking up arms and sacrificing their own lives to make sure we are free and able to choose. No, you don't. Very good point. Very good point. Let's see. Nightingale. The Sweetheart Gala was an amazing experience. Shout out to the stage management team. And the stage management team was our own Davy Longwood. He was part of that. He did a great job. Let's see. Um... Facebook user says, Carnival on the Marty. So that must have been to my question of what cruise line we were on. That tells me that might be Gene Fisher. Um, Captain Blackheart says, after my VA knee appointment tomorrow, I may be donating a leg or two for Saturday's sale. Uh, A leg or two, you only have two to go with. And we only have one peg leg in the museum. Yes, Captain Blackheart. It says S-A-P-T-M after his name. That stands for St. Augustine Pirate and Treasury Museum, which is also what's on his license tag. Now that I've given him away. (laughs) Uh, Ahoy, Will the Historian from Nightingale in Florida. Uh, Let's see. There's Lauren McRae. We did respond to her. Nice to see her. Love Uh, you. Hi, honey. i so proud of your nephew. That's good. Ransom Mayhem. Very good. Very good. Let's see. Um, I'm looking to see if there's anything else. Nightingale in, in Florida says, have you watched the History Channel? We did answer that. And that's a good one. That's all. we will get him that question. I... We, we Well said. Have film for the History Channel, I would tell you. Know what show you're actually watching. You're absolutely right. Um, my volume is all the way up, and I'm having troubles hearing the mayhems. Hmm. Anybody else having troubles hearing? We've had a few people tell us over a couple of the last episodes we've had some issues with sound. We're trying to figure it out if we need to do something better or if we need to do something at all. Please let us know. That I does help. I your voice, but I don't know if you're going to like it. Yeah. Will the historian, what do you think is a historical event that is often misinterpreted or people are often aren't told all the facts? Mm. That's, a, that's, a, that's a very good question because there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, one, sometimes when I look at something that's being portrayed on film, I also try to see... I also look at, did they keep the gist or the heart of what happened? 
Um, or, or are they just trying to throw things in? Um, even Martin Scorsese has said in some of his films that he hasn't been historically accurate with some of the things that happened in Las Vegas, stuff like that. But I'm always reminded of, like, uh, Braveheart. Braveheart, you know, we know there was a William Wallace. We know this stuff. But if you, the, the story of Braveheart is very, is almost historical fiction to a point. And even in the movie, like the Battle of Sterling Bridge. How do you have the Battle of Sterling Bridge when you don't have the bridge that was actually part of the battle? Uh, that was a key component to the victory of the Scots at that point. So, again, and then you have stuff like, uh, like uh, Steven Spielberg with Saving Private Ryan. I couldn't tell you exactly how accurate, but I would like to, I, from what I can see, I think that first 10 minutes of that movie is probably one of the most accurate war scenes I've ever seen, uh, ever depicted in a movie. Because um, to me, what that the whole thing is doing is trying to give you very much a feel for what was actually happening and the sounds and the look of terror on people's face. That's what he was trying to convey. Yes, he used some characters that weren't there that he might have made up just for his movie, but I fully believe that's what he was getting the point across. That's called creative license. Yeah. And we, we expect creative license um, to further the point of the feeling or the accuracy. Maybe accuracy is the wrong word, but the feeling or the emotion of the of the scene or the particular time in history. Creative. And, and we accept that as normal. Um, but when you when you start looking at other films and they've stretched it so far out that it's just obvious it can't be real, that's where common sense comes back in, like we talked about at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Common sense does play a big part in it. The most accurate history to it, the most accurate history is to actually talk to the men and women that were there. I talked to paratroopers in Normandy in 2019 from the 82nd and the 101st. That might tell me who Sky Jockey is now. And if I, I, if I remember right, when you were there in those two years, not only were you there, but you also jumped out of an airplane to commemorate that time frame, if I remember right. And so we thank you for being a part of that. One of these, one of these days we'll have to get... Will the historian, what is your favorite historical event to teach about or just to discuss in general? I am a big fan of colonial America and Revolutionary War. Uh, I'm a big fan of President Washington. Um, I like I like this I like Francis Marion, uh, and that there you go. There's you a there's you a uh, part like the Patriot. I love the movie The Patriot. I really do. I know it's, but that's not what was going on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there that that is that was a movie that took elements from actual history to kind of create the story. Um, and then I love the nineteen. I love the nineteen forties, and I not just because of World War Two. I, I like music. Like I'm a I'm a big fan of Glenn Miller Band. I love Glenn Miller. At, remember at, at the wedding, our last song yeah. was uh, a long, long time, which, yeah. which is an old song, but most people heard it at the end of Avengers Endgame. Is the song that Captain America and Peggy danced to, and that was the last song of the wedding at, on the wedding night for me and my wife. And uh, she, I'm very thankful that she she indulges my my nerdness uh, <laughs> on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, and you're never going to outwear that nerdness. That's for no, sure. No, no. But I will say that yes, definitely. Uh, if I the uh, colonial America, I have a I have a whole thing on Salem, the Salem witch trials. 
that I did for another podcast that I've never, never gotten to. It's still sitting in its file. So if you ever want someone to talk about the Salem Witch Trials, call me up and I'll, I'll well, do Salem you know Witch what? Trials with you. That might yeah. be something to do during October. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I did see that old Chum Bucket is on deck. Hi, everybody say, hey, old Chum. Very good. Battles are always a numbers game from the Civil War right through to today. Yeah. Unless, of course, it is you or your loved ones who are lost. Yes, you're absolutely right. I, I, Donna Boggess says that, thank God, I actually have my dad on video talking about his experiences in World War II. He was a Marine. That is something that you should cherish, and you should probably have those videos taken to some company and put it on a disc so it doesn't wear out ever, ever, ever. Something for you to consider a good idea. I, the 101st jumped just after midnight on 5-6 June. RCPT jumped today to honor that event. Very good. Um, while visiting Normandy on D-Day a few years um, back, I learned about a soldier who parachuted out of the plane, and the wind caught him, and he landed in a burning building. The image of that still haunts me. That's got to be a terrible thing. Terrible. I, let's see. Uh, when did you discover your passion for history and teaching, as well as what made you want to pursue that passion? Um, well, as I was actually telling the story today uh, to, to Lauren's Aunt Barbara, um, my first love of history came from watching a documentary on Egypt. And, and I just fell in love with learning about past cultures, past civilizations, and all so much that when I graduated college with my first degree, I, had, I, had got, I was able to go to Egypt and get to actually see the places that I had wanted to see all my life. What really got me into it, I'd always kind of thought about the idea of teaching even in high school. But I was like, oh, there's no, there's no money in that. I need, to, I need to be something big and make money. I'm going to go cure cancer. And then I got into college and started taking my science classes and realized I was bored out of my mind and I was not doing well. Um, and then I, But I had been taking every job I seemed to take has some kind of teaching element. I worked in Vermont for six months as a camp counselor with the Diocese of Vermont, teaching, teaching them. Then I would go into space camp, um, youth, youth ministry, uh, everything. And... When I finally decided to left youth ministry, I was like, I'm going to go get my second degree and become a teacher. And I thought that was the right path. And I remember talking to some of my professors when I went back. They were all like, well, it's about time. <laughs> so so you have two degrees. Uh, yes, I have a degree. I have a degree in history with a minor in religion. And then I have what I have a secondary in education, with, which then has a minor of history. So it really was just an easier, basically I went and took all these education classes to learn to become a teacher, which I'm going to tell you right now, you can take two years of education classes and you're not going to learn really what it means to be a teacher until you're actually in the classroom. Uh, nothing, we have some great professors in great colleges and I love my, my education professors and they were amazing and they did a great job teaching me. But I remember telling them, I it took me, it took me about a year to fully understand teaching, and I think I was one of the lucky ones because I had one of the greatest mentors, uh, Marcus Taylor, God rest his soul, um, who was my student, my advisor student teaching. And when I got the job at the school, he was my mentor, and he would sit me down and he like, here's what didn't work because this sucked, all right, and you need to redo this. And he taught me what it was to be a good teacher because he was an amazing, amazing teacher that we do not have in this world anymore. Um, and so that's it. So if you're going to become a teacher, get you the right mentor <laughs> when you get into the classroom. That's going to make all the difference. And we need teachers. We need people who are passionate about teaching and want to 
to inspire the next generation. Sky Jockey says D in this case for military timing is used before an operation, i.e. D3 would be three days before D-Day in the day of the actual landing. Aye, that's interesting information to know. Very good. Um, let's see. I just saw something else here. Arc Rattery checking in from Prattville, Alabama. That's, I want, that's either Adam or Lindsay. Adam or Lindsay. My brother-in-law and his wife. So. Uh, very <laughs> good. Be, that's one of them, I bet. All right. Well, good to see other family there. Love the video. We'll be watching Band of Brothers this week starting tomorrow. Good idea. Very good. That's a good movie. The vets that are often forgotten, not given credit, and not well known are the Waves, Wasps, Wax, and civilian Rosie the Riveters. Mm -hmm. Without them, the war effort would have been, would have ground to a halt. Absolutely right. Would have. <clears throat> and it falls on all of us to make sure that we thank everybody. It's the same thing that somebody posted that the spouses and the children of military members, they go through an awful lot too. I can remember from my childhood, um, our father um, was very involved in the Vietnam War and served many, many tours overseas. Um, and it was tough. It was very tough to grow up most of our grade school years without our dad being there. Um, and, it, and in this case, God rest his soul, because dad died back in November. So he was a vet for sure. And so let's see. Great show, little William. Hi. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm Big William. All right, yeah. look at this. All right? he's, he's not little William anymore. Mm. That's Big Gee. William there. <laughs> I know where you live, Ransom. We're going to have a talk about this. Hi. Let's see. Uh, Washington was considered a traitor by St. Augustine at the time. He even had plans to attack St. Augustine. That I did know. Um, Michelle has family that was burned at the Salem witch trials. Well, that's something new to talk about at the next family dinner. <laughs> Sky Jockey jumped on June 5th, 2019, and will be back again next year in 2024, which will be the 80th anniversary yeah. of D-Day. Very good. They're doing some, there, there's going to be a big celebration uh, and trying to get vets that were actually still alive who there will be there. Well, we might have to do something here. That might be kind of fun. Let's see. Um, got that one, got that one, got that one. Annika Wren. Uh, she has the movie The Patriot. It's an amazing movie. Uh, oh, I love The Patriot, too. In fact, one of our ancestors, it's based on Francis Marion, one of our ancestors that I've been able to research fought in the Carolinas in the Revolution War with a band of guerrilla warfare. And as far as I could tell... McCray fought with Francis Marion. Oh yeah, and if that's true, that just is awesome to me because he's one of he's probably besides George Washington my favorite um, person to read about. Wasn't he the Swamp Fox? Swamp Fox. He was Swamp Fox. So, what you found out about the McCray is probably is true because our family, a big portion of our family, is originally when they came here were in the in the Carolinas. Yeah, and then. Some of us left the Carolinas and, and came to Florida. Yeah. So it, we've been we've been here when we got kicked out of Scotland. We've been here for a little while. So yeah, we have been. Yeah. We, so, we we were causing some issues there. You know. But you know we're fighters. We um we trace our family all the way back to the Battle of Hastings. Yeah. So it's very interesting information to learn. So let's see anything else. 
Lots of good questions tonight. You guys, it's wonderful to have you here. Athena River says, and it is happy birthday to you. This has made my birthday even better. I love talking and learning about history. The only thing that would have made it better, Athena, is if you were here having your first legal rum (laughs) with the captain. That would have made it better. Just don't tell Hellfire. (laughs) I will the historian, if you could travel back in time to experience only one historical event, what would it be and why? That's that's a loaded question, Annika. Holy cow! I, I, whoo! If I had to pick one, if I'm just have to pick one, I would want to be there when the debates and then the signing of the Declaration of Independence, because you're talking about. I see the Mandy Joe shaking her head on you, that. You're one. talking about you're talking about the men and the women behind those men, who I mean, like you know Abigail Adams. And so you you have this. These are the men that, that created an experiment that's. You know, some say it doesn't work, but at the end of the day, the experiment's working. It may not always be perfect, and that's the thing I tell about my students. Um, there's a difference between nationalists and patriots. Nationalists is what Hitler was. Patriots know there's sometimes there's problems and there's things we can fix, but still love our country and going to keep trying. And I said, these guys were patriots. They had an idea, and they, they brought it to life and used works from people throughout history to create what we have. And I'm very, you go to anywhere else in the world, uh, complain about our country, you can, you have that right to do freedom of speech. But one thing I've done, I've been to places in the world where they don't have speech, where they don't have freedoms. And trust me, it changes your whole, uh, your whole thought process back in our own country. So to further answer Annika Wren's question about where to go back in history... I always have love it when people say how they'd love to go back in history and experience the the lore and the romanticism and or whatever other words they want to use. I can give you two reasons, four letters, why nobody really would want to go back in time. The first two letters, AC. <laughs> We've grown so used to it, I, we wouldn't survive without it. And the second two letters, B.O., Think about it. Yes. <laughs> Can't even answer that from Kenya. I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to go with that one. Nope. Aye, this has been a great show. Has it not, Mr. Longwood? Aye, Captain. It has. And Mandy, I see you're muted, but yes, good show. Oh, it's been fun. I was going to say what would have been fun about the Constitution was actually listening to their debates and reasoning. Because right now all we have are theories on why they did what they did. And I would love to hear it, like how it actually became that way. Read, uh, you ever read, uh, you ever read James Madison's writings about the Constitution? He's on my list, but no. Oh my gosh, he's got it. There's a book about why he did some of the things he did. And that man, that man was a, was a master at what, at what what he was talking about. So I recommend it. And we just saw that T.A. Burroughs is on. He was our guest two weeks ago. He's somebody that I got to have the privilege of working with for many, 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 many comedy shows. He was our guest. We had a great show that night. By the way, T.A., your books did come in, and there's something in the mail on the way back to you here in the next day or two. Um, Wait till you see it. It'll be great. And it's great to have you be a part of the show when you can watch us at any time. Always wonderful. We have such a great time when we do these shows. And as I always say, when there's a guest, we always go over the hour. We're at one hour and 23 minutes now, and we still have a little bit more to go. For example, how about um, guests on deck? 
So ladies and gentlemen, that is the crew adventures on the horizon. And you can throw that one out now, right now, Mr. Davey. We don't need to worry about that because a lot of it right now is just the summertime with Mayhem Productions. Go ahead and put on there you go. So next week, Joe Hughes, a comedian from out in California who now lives down in Flagler area. He's a good friend of mine. I've done some work with him. He's going to be on the show. The 26th of June, it's not on here, but I do know that it is going to be an entire show devoted to mermaids. And I believe we have three mermaids on site and one mermaid streaming in. So that'll be a good one. Mr. Longwood, there's another guest that we have coming on the show. What was the date? 19th, June 19th. June 19th, so two weeks away. Go ahead and tell everybody who that is, Mr. Longwood. Stephen Sears. He has some great credentials. He has written um, scripting and shows for like the A-Team. Um, Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. Xena. And, what's that? Xena, Warrior Xena. Uh, Warrior Princess, all those. He's going to be on our show. He's on my Facebook page as a friend, and we're going to talk to him about things in Hollywood. There may be a few other dates that are going to pop up here soon. We're working on those now. But be watching, ladies and gentlemen. We always have great guests, as you can see by tonight's show. Let's reveal Mayhem's joke of the week. I think I know it. You do? Okay. It is time for the answer to the joke of the week. How do you turn a pirate furious? The answer is, take away the pee. <laughs> then you only have an irate pirate. There you go. Very good. So, ladies and gentlemen, we always like to say thank you to everybody that's involved. If you'd like to throw that up there, Mr. Davey, give us our thank you video. podcast you can watch us on youtube spotify or instagram if you just want to listen to us because you're driving along the road when you go back to alabama you could listen to us you could go to stitcher iheart Castbox, apple podcast or music amazon music eight platforms ladies and gentlemen that we're on and we're always looking at new ideas and new possibilities to expand our wonderful world of the captain's quarters podcast now one other thing I always like to do before we show our numbers, I want to do this while I'm thinking about it. TA, you're going to get something in the mail if you're still watching. I'm giving one to my son because he was here. We give away a Captain's Quarters podcast poker chip. On the front is our, our crew logo and on the back is our sign-off logo. And this is for my son for being a part of it. You're Thank now you. a part of the podcast. 
and keep that with you always. It is a black chip, which means it's a $100 chip, but it's not really worth $100. <laughs> All right, but we do like to give them out, and I'm sending one over to TA also, so he has that for his. It's like a challenge coin, ladies and gentlemen, and many of the military people that are watching know what a challenge coin is. If you have it, and we meet, and I forgot mine, I have to buy you the drink. That's how it works. I very good. T.A., it was glad to have you. I, I'm glad that you were able to pay attention and watch us tonight and be a part of our show tonight. Thank you very, very much. The only other thing we need to do is show our numbers real quick because we just done some, look at that, 1,072. That bumped up four from the beginning of the show, did it not, Mr. Longwood? Aye, Captain. Very good. <clears throat> 171 in the last 28 days. Some of our best ones, special guest William Mayhem and talking about D-Day. Already 40 hits. Very good. Now I guess I'm going to have to pay him. Wait, I am paying him. After this show, we're going to sit out back and smoke a cigar, and I'm going to introduce him to a shot of peanut butter whiskey with our cigar. All right. And Lauren, I will not allow him to drink so much that he can't get home. Hi. Right. Navigator Longwood's amazing wildlife sporting. Very good, Longwood. Very good. And new achievement, 30,000 views. Yeah, look at that, 30,000 <laughs> views. We're doing good, but we need to do a bit better, and we're working on it. But with your help, we'll succeed. We thank you all be for being a part of the show tonight. We thank you for being here with us. I, Lauren McRae says, good answer. Uh, was she referring to me saying that he won't be drinking too much tonight? Love you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, please. Captain's Quarters Podcast 21 at gmail.com. And one more last thing before we sign off, ladies and gentlemen. Home after Goat Island. I, one more last thing, and that is this. If you're the captain of a crew or the representative of a crew, we want to talk about your charity work, like we do with the Sea Wolves, like we do with Miss Gina and the Ancient City Sirens and the Blue Lotus, and even the crew of the St. Augustine Swashbucklers. We welcome you to send us an email or send us a request to talk about your event, either before the event to advertise it or after the event to talk about your success. It's often been said that I talk too much about the success of the swashbucklers, but let me tell you something. That's not bragging, that's advertising. And it's very, very, very important to advertise when you do so much for the community. It makes a big difference when you're trying to ask for more help down the road. If you're successes have been noted to the public, then people are more apt to join your forces and help you further down the road. And ladies and gentlemen, yes, I'm very proud of the St. Augustine Swashbucklers and all that they do. So if you are proud of your crew and want some help advertising or want some help publicizing or want some help talking about your success, send us a message. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we close the show at one hour and 31 minutes. Take her away, Mr. Longwood. Part of the podcast. Part of the crew. Always. To all of you, thank you very much. And thank you to my guest and the love of my son right there. Thank you. <laughs>